Okay, we're, we're, we're near the end of this series, about 10 words that can change your life. And today we're on change. And do you realize that we are only about a month away, in fact, less than a month away from a new year, which is exciting. And what happens most of the time for people in the new year? What do you do kind of in anticipation of a new year? What do you do? You make resolutions, that's right. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I know it's early, and I know some of you are saying... I don't even have my Christmas decorations up. And By the way, I read a super interesting article about Christmas decorations. Uh, the study says, the, the article said, study links happiness to early holiday decorating. The earlier, evidently, the happier you are. And there was research done by Temple University and the University of Utah, and they kind of combined their studies. And what they determined was people who decorate early typically had a great childhood, and they, they love that season, and so they want to elongate the season. They want to have more of what they had when they were kids, and so they're kind of reliving the past. The other side of that is you have people who didn't have a good, maybe, Christmas childhood, and they, they missed it, and they know they missed it, and so they decorate early so they can kind of gain what they missed when they were young. And even one of the things that was interesting about that, it says that... Um, the people who decorate big early um, share the the joy with their neighbors by decorating early and that sort of thing. So, uh, if the cases can be made that the earlier you celebrate, the happier you are. Every employee at Hobby Lobby ought to be ecstatic because they have been celebrating Christmas since July. So, um, you think about it that way. Okay. So, when we make resolutions. You might make them coming up. Again, it's just a month away. These are the top five for Americans. Eat better, exercise more, spend less, get more sleep, and stop a bad habit. And you can pick the habit. It depends on who you are, what your habit is. Uh, I, I came up with a couple more suggestions. Uh, don't bore your boss. Think of better excuses. Um, do less laundry and use more deodorant. That's always appropriate. And uh, don't go to Walmart in your PJs. So um, that's one for my friends from Kentucky. Uh, I got to thinking about the whole notion of resolutions. And is it a new occurrence or have people always met resolutions at the beginning of the year? And I got to thinking about if it was the dark ages, what would your resolutions be? Uh, one would be to dodge accusations, mostly because if you were accused of something, they would torture you until you confessed. So you really don't want that. Um, you didn't really want to get medical attention because they had two procedures that they really kind of gravitated toward. One was to bleed you, uh, to uh, let blood out of your body. The other was if you had a headache, they would drill a hole in your cranium. So really you kind of didn't want that. Uh, avoid the plague. <laughs> that was kind of a big deal. You know, avoid it like the plague. And um, finding food was a big deal and you wanted to elude marauders. So um, our... Our resolutions today are much different than the resolutions would have been. We don't have it so bad is kind of what I wanted to say. Now, at this time of year, when we get to the end of the year and the beginning of next year, and I know I'm a little early and you're probably saying, dude, I'm not even finished with Christian shopping, and I get all that. But part of my task as a pastor is to help us, help you look forward. I mean, eternity is forward. I mean, I want you to look at eternity. Are you sure you're, you're going to get to spend to heaven uh, in eternity in heaven with Jesus? I mean, so part of my job is to help us look ahead. But the last couple of weeks, we've talked about having maybe a spiritual inventory. Hey, where am I with God right now? It's a great thing to do. And the end of the season, any time is good to do this, but maybe this is an appropriate time. And I know it's busy, 
But let's say you take a deep dive, maybe a, a soul cleanse, and you look at your spirit and you're like, man, there are some things spiritually I'd like to do better. Because I think most of us have some things in their life, in our lives, we'd like to do better. And here's some good news for you. The good news is you can change spiritually, and God is here to help. And we're going to look at a couple of verses. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today, if you want to turn there, um, to, to see how this works. Because they're kind of conflicting ideas. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of words that I would almost guarantee you, no other church in America, we're going to talk about these two things. You are going to be smarter than every other audience in America. Pat yourself on the back right now. I mean, uh, you're about to be super smart. Um, there are two sort of ideas around how do I get better as spiritually, okay? One is called quietism. Has any, how many of you have ever heard of quietism? See? Uh, Dustin heard it first service. Okay, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> Quietism is this idea, the Quakers were quietists. And the notion is, if, if I'm going to grow spiritually, God is going to have to zap me. It's, going to, it's all God and none of me, right? It's all God. And, and the illustration they use to, to, to kind of uh, illustrate, the illustration they use for this is, uh, it, a potter's wheel, we're the clay, we're just a lump, we just lay there, and the potter does all the work. It's all on God. So that's quietism. I'm quiet, and God does the work. And I, if I grow spiritually, it's all God. And if I don't grow spiritually, it's all God. It's, it's His job to grow me spiritually. The other kind of other side of the coin are pietists. Now, you may have heard of that word. Piety is a kind of a, has a negative connotation. It basically simply means I do piously, I do right things. I obey God is kind of what it means. Now... There's a danger with both of these. If I'm a quietist, if I think it, it's all God's responsibility, it's none of my responsibility, then if I don't grow, it's God's fault. And maybe that doesn't make sense to you, because it doesn't make any sense to me. I think God wants me to grow, so it can't be God's fault. The, the problem with pietism is, if I think it's all on me, then if I'm successful, I get the credit. It leads to pride. If I'm unsuccessful, it leads to despair because if I can't be self-disciplined enough to make this happen, I don't know where else to turn. If it's all on me, then where am I supposed to turn? Now, I believe the Bible teaches both in the Old Testament and New Testament, and I'm going to show you a couple of texts, from one from each. I believe God has a hand in our growth, and we have a hand in our growth. And if you've turned in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, let me show you a couple of verses. Continue to work out your salvation, it says, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So notice a couple of expressions here. I am to, to work out, to exercise my salvation. There's, I have a part in, in growing spiritually. But I'm also to work out what God is working in me, what God is already putting inside of me. And this isn't just a New Testament concept. In the Old Testament, you'll, you may recall, if you've read the Old Testament, there was a great king and his name was David. And David was the king of the Israelites, God's chosen people, and um, he wanted to build a temple for, for God, and God said, no, you can't do it because you're a warrior. And, but your son, Solomon, he is the one 
who's going to build this temple. And Solomon, sure enough, built this magnificent, amazing temple. And just like today, if we have a new building, a lot of times we have a, a kind of an inauguration ceremony or a, a, a grand opening, and we'll cut the you know, red ribbon cutting time, and you'll have dignitaries and that sort of thing. And, and so the temple was about to be inaugurated, so to be established, and they had a great celebration. And Solomon prays this amazing prayer. It's in 1 Kings. He prays this amazing prayer. And he just petitions God. God, bless us. Here's your house. We built this for you. We want you to inhabit it and be with us. And then he gets off of his knees and he addresses the the crowd. And this is what he says. Super interesting to me. I have a part. God has a part. May the Lord our God be with us. As he has been with our ancestors, may he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him. Think about that expression just for a second. May God turn our hearts toward him. Okay. And then he says, to walk in obedience, to keep the commandments and his decrees and his laws. Let me go back one. I have a part in my spiritual growth and God has a part in my spiritual growth. And God's part, we'll go back this way, God's part is to draw me, to invite me. But I have a choice to make, whether to be drawn, whether to accept an invitation. My part here is to keep the commandments and the laws and to be obedient to Him. God's part is to draw me close. We, we both have a part in this. Now, let me time out just for a second. Our verse says that we are to work out our salvation not that we're to work for our salvation. It's, a, it's an incredibly important distinction that we have to make. I'm not working to win God's favor. I've already won God's favor. I'm not working to, to make God like me. God already likes me. God already loves me. He sent His Son to die for me. He already loves us. In fact, there are texts over and over again that talk about this. Let me show you a couple. This is the most famous ones. For it is by grace. Grace is an... Un, undeserved gift, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not what you do. It's not by works. So you could boast. Nobody enters heaven and says, God, you owe me this. So, let, let me illustrate. If I work out my body, which obviously I do, um, I mean, some people say I'm swole. So anyway, uh, uh, if I work out my body, I'm not working to gain a body. I'm working to develop the body I already have. I'm working out what I already have. If I'm working out a puzzle, my, my kids like to do puzzles. If I'm working out a puzzle, I'm not creating a puzzle. I'm putting the pieces in place to produce something, a picture. If I'm a farmer and I work the land, I'm not creating land. I'm working what I already have. And in all three cases, the objective is productivity. If I'm working out my body, the idea is I'll be healthier, I'll have more energy, I'll live longer. That's why I do these things. If I'm working out the puzzle, the idea is I want to be productive and I want the picture to show once I'm done. If I'm working out the land, the idea is there's going to produce some sort of crop. Whatever you sow, if you sow wheat or if you sow grass or if you sow tomatoes, whatever it is I'm trying to grow, the notion is I'm working it out in order for it to be productive. Okay, so 
What we're trying to produce is this, I'm going to give you another super cool word, kind of a churchy word, kind of a theological word called sanctification. Say it with me. Sanctification. Great. Okay. It's a $12 word, which basically means God is making me more holy. He's creating in me a character that looks like Jesus. I'm becoming more and more like Christ. Sanctification, not a word we use a lot, but I wanted to throw it out there. So if you go to lunch and you see some people from First Baptist, you can say, we learned about sanctification, they won't even know what you're talking about. Uh, so that's good. It's good. It's always good to get over on the Baptist. Okay, anyway, anyway. So, so let me show you a text. Let me show you a text. For it is God who works in you, this is part of our text for the day, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Every person in the room, everybody to your right, to your left, in front, behind, everyone in the room has a purpose designed by God for your life. Part of our purpose is to become like Jesus. He wants it, he wants it. And as a pastor, let me tell you this. There are, when I look at my life, when I give a, a kind of a self-analysis, there are things I want to do better. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be more godly as a pastor. I want to be a better friend to my friends. I want to be a better husband to my wife. I want to be a better father to my daughters. These are things that I want to do. And several years ago, before Elise was born, we lived in Clovis, New Mexico. We had a two-story house. And I, I, I developed a really, really bad habit. We had this... We had a house, and you know, you're a dad, you got stuff to do, you got cars to take care of. And my girls were little, we had three daughters at the time, they were all kind of little, you know, and, and they would come to me and they would say, Daddy, you know, I want to do this, or can we do this? And, and I got into the bad habit of saying, either to all of them or one of them, I would say, Honey, I'm, I'm busy, why don't you go ask your mother? I'm busy, go ask your mother. And I, I, I heard myself say it. And if you've ever disappointed your kids, and anybody that's a parent has disappointed your kids at least once, you, you know what they look like when you say stuff like that to them, and they, they kind of you know, droop, it's like a little wilting flower, and they walk off, and little girls, oh, it's horrible as a dad when your little daughter walks off sad, and so I, I just deserve, I determine, I, I'm going to be better at this, and I'm going to give them the attention that they need, and, and so I resolved, this is what I'm going to do. Well... It didn't take long, about the next week after I resolved this. It's a Saturday, and I, I needed to paint our second story. There were some windows up there that needed some attention, and I was going to paint around the frames. And So I got my ladder out, and I hung it up there, you know, set it up against the wall. And I climbed all the way to the top, and I had my bucket of paint and my, my paintbrush. And, and I was just getting ready to dip my brush into the paint. And from below, I heard a little girl voice say, Daddy, Daddy. Now, what I wanted to say was, honey, I'm busy right now, go ask your mother. But I'd resolved, I'm not going to do that. So I, I, I kind of set my paint there precariously and put the brush on top and I climbed all the way down. And I got down on one knee and I looked her in the eye and I, I forget which one of my kids it was. But I said, honey, what, what do you need? Daddy, Daddy's here to help you. And she said, Daddy, do you know where mommy is? <laughs> So it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But we, we, we resolve to do things because, look at this verse. This is a cool verse. Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. We have the potential to be new 
people, better people, Christ-like people. If we're in Christ, we can be like Christ. This is what's super cool. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. This is a super cool verse. We, we, don't, we, we, we don't have to be this way. God has an ambition for us to be like His Son, Jesus Christ. He gives us the tools in order to do this. Uh, one of my resolutions for 2018 was to read 50 books. That was my resolution, or listen to. I, I count listening to books as reading them. And uh, so I've, I've met my goal. But listen, one of the best books I've read, I think I've read it at least two times and maybe three times. I think I've read it thrice. Um, is a book by a guy named Bob Goff called Love Does. Super good. And in that book, he has this quote. We can't be new creations if everything stays the same. There, there is something to be said for developing, for getting better, for becoming more like Christ. And so I'm proposing today, if you're going to make New Year's resolutions, and you could start today if you wanted to, that we can be better people. Now, here's what I want to show you, a couple things. This is our text for the day. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice the word continue. This is a process. And if you're a fan of a sports team, sometimes we get new coaches on our sports teams. And the progress won't be as fast as we want it to be, right? It's just we're not, we're not winning enough yet. And a general manager or the athletic director will have a press conference. And he'll say something to the effect of trust... The process. It's a process. Continue to work out your salvation. Continue. It's a process. Now, something else super important. We're working out our own salvation. I'm not doing it for you. You're not doing it for me. We can help one another, but this is very personal. This is about my relationship with God. And it's to be taken seriously. With fear and trembling doesn't mean we're afraid of God because we're in God's family. It's not that. It's something that we should take seriously. And as parents, we take seriously our obligation to raise our kids. So does God. He takes it seriously. In fact, I wrote down some things that we say, and you might be able to help me with some of these. These are things we say as parents to our kids to help them develop character. I'll give you a couple. Uh, your mama may have said this to you when you were a kid. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case what? You're in an accident. That's right. Because who knows? Um, if you fall and break your leg, don't what? Come run into me. That's right. That's right. You, these are things we te- we're teaching. My favorite, shut your mouth and eat your supper. Uh, I love that one. That's one of my favorites. Uh, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. I like that one. Uh, oh, oh, you're going to get this one. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to stick that way. Thank you very much. Shut the door. Were you raised in a barn? Yes. That's how we teach. You're going to eat those peas. Uh, there are starving children in Africa, China. Really, it depends on your family. Uh, who would love to have those peas? And Let me end with this one. You better stop crying or I'm going to... Give you something to cry about. That's right. Which is irony if you think about it. Okay. So, we take seriously our obligation to raise our kids. God takes seriously his obligation to create in us a character that reflects Christ. 
called spiritual maturity, and he uses certain tools to accomplish this task. We're going to talk about God's part, and then we're going to talk about our part. God gives us the tools. We use the tools. Let's talk about the tools first. I'm going to give you the most basic one, and I'm going to, I'm going to call time out because every preacher of every church where we love Jesus, we tell you to read your Bible, every one of us. And I would love to say to you, it is so easy. Well, I'm here to tell you it's not easy. It's not easy for me. For me, it's like, and you might have the easiest time, and if you do, bless you, awesome. For me, it's really a, a better self-discipline. I have to make myself get into Scripture. And I'm always happy when I do, but I don't gravitate toward it. And I don't know if you do, but I don't. Now, we use texts like this. It's easy to prove that the Bible is important to us. Um, all Scripture is inspired by God. We ought to read it just because God wrote it. Uh, it's useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is right and wrong in our lives, it straightens us out, it teaches us what to do. There's a reason we read the Bible. I'm not saying, I just want you to understand, it's not always easy, it's just really the right thing to do. And so on your outline, I've given you some resources, there are some things. There's something called F260, it's a reading guide. And it's basically 260 days worth of readings. It's not every day, it's five days a week. And and these are sort of selected so that uh, it teaches, these readings teach the main doctrines of Scripture. I'm going to do that in 2019. This is going to be my reading plan for 2019. I just wanted to share it with you. There are, it's, I have it on a sheet of paper. If you want to join me, you can. There are some on the, the desk out at the Welcome Center. You're welcome to, to grab one. The reason I wanted to do that was I need a plan. But there are millions of plans. There's the one-year Bible. It's online. It's free. I've done that several times. That's a great plan. It gets you through, gives you a chunk of the Old Testament and the New Testament every day and a little bit of a psalm or at least a psalm and a proverb, a little bit of a proverb every day. And it kind of gives you old, new psalms and proverbs every day. It's a great plan. I've done it several times myself. It gets you through the whole Bible. Um, but there are others. I've given you a couple of others on your, on your outline. And, and all of these are... They're great tools if you will utilize them. But, but let, me, let me remind you of something. I read a book that changed my life about two years ago called Finish by a guy named John Acuff. The premise of the book is it doesn't matter if you start. What matters is if you finish. And it doesn't matter if you do it perfectly from start to finish. Because here's what happened, has happened so many times in my life. I'll come to church, I'll hear a sermon, the preacher will say, you need to read your Bible, I'll determine, I'll resolve to read my Bible. I'm going to do it, this is going to be my next year, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And I'll get up January 1 and I'll, I'll kill it, I'll read my Bible, and January 2, I'm like in a turkey coma and I don't read it as well, you know, I've been eating too much and I'm not as great at it that second day, and by, week, by day 7, I miss a day. And here's what we have a tendency to do. Well, I can't do it perfectly, therefore I shouldn't do it at all. Now, there's a spiritual, really deep biblical word for that, and that's called being stupid. Because, listen, my ambition is to read Scripture. If I don't do it perfectly, but I still do it quite a bit, that's better than not doing it at all, right? If I read... If, if I go by plan F260, that's the, my plan for, for 2019, that's what I'm going to do. If at the end of the year, for me it's been F205, 
Isn't that better than five? Isn't it better to read my Bible 205 days next year than just five? Well, sure. I might not do it perfectly. That's okay. Perfectly isn't the goal. Get that out of our minds. It's not to do it perfectly. It's simply to do it. You get started. You do it the best you can. If you miss a day, you start again. You pick right back up. Look, there are doctors today who got through medical school with a D. Think about it just for a second. Maybe a C. I don't know how you, how, how you get... Not everybody that got through medical school was straight-A students. I mean, there are people who do your job, whatever job you have, who wasn't a straight-A student. Getting to the finish line is what's important, right? Finishing, not starting, and not doing it perfectly. So the first tool God gives us is Scripture. Let me encourage you. I'm praying that we will be people who read our Bibles this year. And, and I'm, I'm giving you several options. There's also Bible.org. There's so many you can use. They're just everywhere. If you, if you need recommendations, come to me. Come to Chris. We'll be happy to give you recommendations. But I've written four of them out for you. The second thing that God gives us is the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in this. God is the one who raised Christ from the dead, exhibiting his power. And he will give life through his spirit that lives in you. The Holy Spirit resides in us. Let me show you one more. Um, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. God's ambition for you and for me is to become like His Son. This is what He wants for us. This is His ambition for us. Okay? And the Holy Spirit reminds us of what we need to be doing. So I've got the Bible, I've got the Holy Spirit, and circumstances. Oh, my word, circumstances. We all know this verse, but let me read it to you. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We all know this. If we believe the premise that God's ambition for our lives is to be like, to create in us a character like Christ's, then what Jesus experienced will probably be some of the things we experience. I want you to think about it. Jesus was betrayed. A guy named Judas betrayed him. Uh, if Jesus was betrayed, there's a really good chance that we're going to have relational problems in our lives. They help grow our character. It's a circumstance that helps us grow. Jesus experienced it. We'll likely experience it. Jesus experienced temptation. Guess what? If we're going to be like Jesus and learn to overcome temptation, we're probably going to experience temptation. Jesus was frustrated at times. Guess what? We're probably going to be frustrated at times. Jesus was lonely at times. We're, it's likely that you and I will also be lonely at times. It helps us develop our character. I need you to hear this because this is super important. God is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. We get this idea that God always wants me to be happy. It's not in Scripture. Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble. We, we live in a difficult, difficult world. And God teaches us, he, He's amazing. He can take the stinky stuff in our lives and grow us through it. 
a couple of places. In Hebrews 2.10, it says Jesus was made perfect through suffering. In Hebrews 5.8, it says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. If we're going to be made perfect, if we're going to um, be obedient, we're probably going to suffer. If that's what it took for Jesus to be who Jesus was, it's probably going to take that to be for us to be like Jesus. In, in Proverbs, it says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. God uses these tools. These are great tools. And he has a, he has a, a tool chest of things he can use, but he uses the Bible. He uses the Holy Spirit to guide us. He uses circumstances. Now, that's his part. We have a part. What do we do with what he gives us? So, super important. First thing is, I, choose, I can choose what I think about. I choose what I think about. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. If there's a giant screen, if up here on the screen uh, you were to put the things I'm thinking about, what would it say about who I am? If they were to put uh, the things you're thinking about, what would it say about who you are? In Romans it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by what you think about. So, what I watch, what I read, I choose these things. Who I hang out with, the places I go, I choose these things. I choose. The second thing is, I can choose to depend on God's Spirit every moment. And Jesus gives this beautiful illustration. Remain in me and I'll remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. A branch can do nothing apart from the vine. And the way you test, are you really, really listening to God, is how often do you pray about stuff? Am I praying about all things? I can. Am I? That is the question. The third thing is this. The third me-changing-me choice, I can choose my response to circumstances. If I know going in that circumstances are one of the ways God shapes me, I can respond to it in a certain way. So, think about it this way. If I read my Bible, I begin to think differently. That's why reading my Bible is important. I begin to think like God wants me to think, not like everybody else thinks. I read my Bible to change the way I think. This is one leads to the other. I listen to the Holy Spirit, and it changes the way I act. The Holy Spirit will guide me in the way I act. And if I begin to understand that God is using every circumstance, He can use every circumstance to shape me, then I can respond differently. All right, so let me show you this in James. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for, for joy. <laughs> whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. It's a, only through God can you do that. Because here's what we have a tendency to do. Uh, I have trouble, and so then I, I start to feel like God is against me. Uh, why would God let this happen? Um, why is it you know, raining, or, or why did I wreck my car, or why you know, did my boyfriend break up with me, or whatever it might be. If, if, if I'm looking at this like God is against me, rather than he's using these things to shape me, if I, if I start to think about, hey, he's using these things to shape me, it changes my life. Let it be an opportunity for joy, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. In, in the gym, it's called no pain, no gain. 
I hear. I, I hear. I don't know it for, but I don't know it from personal experience. But look at the last of this. For when your endurance is fully developed, again, it's a process. Trust the process. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. How many of us would like to be strong in character and ready for anything? Because I think that's a great ambition for 2019. In fact, it's a great ambition for now. Who wouldn't want to be strong in character and ready for anything? I think we all want that in our lives. Let me end with a, a story. There was a Roman scholar by the name of Strabo. Strabo. He lived about 60 years before Christ. He wrote, he wrote in Greek. And he, uh, one time he was talking about a mine. I, I forget what mine it was. It might have been copper. I can't re- re- recall exactly. But um, the Romans owned the land and they sent the miners into the mine to extract the precious metal. Okay? Now, he used the same word, work out that Paul used a little earlier when he said, work out your salvation. Go in and extract what's already there. And it paints this kind of picture for me. In fact, when I heard this, I'm like, oh, that makes, that makes so much sense to me. In a mine, it already has, it has whatever's precious inside it. We just pull it out. When I'm working out my salvation, I'm pulling out what's already, what Jesus, what God has already put in me. Today, where I stand, today where you sit, you have the capability of being like Christ. It's in you. It's in you to be that person. We just have to pull it out. God helps us extract it. And He helps us live it. I think it's a great kind of cool picture. And so the question, we're ending every, every sermon with a question. Is there anything you can think that God would like to change about you right now? Because remember, God has a part He has tools. He he wants to change you, but we have to choose to be people who are changed. Let me pray for us. Father, it is an amazing thing that you care enough about us first to send your son for us. It's awesome. But also to not just leave us where we are. That, That you love us so much that you give us the tools it takes to become like your son. It is amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. And I pray that today we might resolve that we would make choices that would help us become like Jesus. Help us to develop that character that we would be able to withstand anything. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.